My name is Antoinette M. Mugar, and I am a 57-year-old female. I am a long-time resident of Baltimore City, um, predominantly in West Baltimore, um, the neighborhoods of Sandtown, Winchester, and Harlem Park. Great. And Miss Antoinette, can you describe what your role is like in your family or neighborhood or community? Like, how do you see yourself? What's, what do you do in your neighborhood? Sure. So within my family, um, I'm considered the leader mainly because of birthplace. I am the oldest of three siblings. And um, just by being the oldest, that comes with a lot of responsibility and everything. Um, but mainly, as far as my family goes, I would say I've been considered a leader because of my accomplishments in the workforce. And then after being able to, you know, obtain a job and be able to go out on my own and take care of my family, um, going back to school. So my family knows me for accomplishing a lot as far as keeping a job, staying employed, and going back to school as a working adult with three children, which was very, very challenging. Um, I'm also proud to say I'm the first within my immediate family and one of the only family members in the immediate family to hold a college degree. So I actually have three college degrees and um, so that's why I've been considered a leader and also because I've always been willing to help, willing to help my immediate family and definitely just saw a need to take what I've learned from school and just being a survivor into the community and try to help the community um, because where what I have achieved, I realized I did not achieve it on my own. And I was always looking for a way to pay it forward. And more importantly, I just felt some type of way about how my neighborhood looked from the time I grew up in Baltimore City in Murphy Homes to the way it looked present day. So. Um, you can talk more about that if you want to now, mm -hmm. kind of what what the changes are that have occurred in the past and what you want to see change. Okay. Um, you can also talk about a specific project. Okay. So the way I remember Baltimore City, even growing up in Murphy Homes, I mean, obviously it was challenging. Um, it was everything that was wrong about a community you could say was going on in Murphy Homes. Um, you know, we saw people selling drugs in the high rise buildings, but there was a sense of community that's kind of weird to say, but everybody looked out for everybody. Um, you could still go outside and play. There were playgrounds located in front of each high-rise building. There was a neighborhood recreation center, which offered free summer camp with free meals. And, you know, I'm not ashamed to say that um, my mother was a single mother. Um, she was divorced, and it was just me and my middle sister at that time. And so... It was a lot of single women in the projects in Murphy Homes without fathers raising their children. That's what was primarily public housing Murphy Homes. That's that's what you saw. Very rarely did you see 
a man living in Murphy Homes with his family. Um, there were some families who lived in the low rises which surrounded the four buildings of Murphy Homes. Um, we actually uh, grew up in 851 George Street, which was part of the four towers, you can say. And then we also grew up in 900 Argyle Avenue. So with that being said, I, I come from very, very humble beginnings. And um, the sense of community, like I said, was just, it, it still provided a sense of hope and it provided a sense of wholesomeness. Uh, in other words, we, we got to go to school, you know, during the school months. We had wonderful teachers. Um, one teacher in particular, I will never, ever forget, Miss Turner. She was my second grade teacher. She was African-American. And because there were a couple of us girls in her class who were good students, she invited each one of us on three separate occasions to go to her home. Mm. I didn't know where Miss Turner lived. But I will never, ever forget the visit to her home. And the weekend that I went to Miss Turner's house, I was so excited. And it was probably in the suburbs of Baltimore County somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I remember arriving to her house. And she had a detached house. And she had grass. And she had trees. And she had a fence. And I can remember her daughter, Tara, and her son. I don't remember his name, but I remember Tara's name because I always said, oh, I wish I could be Tara. Mm -hmm. And she had, Tara had a beautiful bedroom with a canopy bed, a matching bed spread with matching curtains. And I remember Miss Turner's husband coming home from work that Friday evening and he had on a suit and a briefcase. I, I was not accustomed to seeing that. And so I was like taken back because I'm like, She's black, she's married, and she's got a house, and a house is clean. Not to say our house wasn't clean, but this was a different lifestyle that I didn't think that black people were accustomed to, or I was not used to seeing it. So she gave me a sense of hope that maybe one day I can live like this, but the question was, how do I get there? How do I get to that point? How do I get to live the black American dream, the way Miss Turner and her husband was living. Mm. Well, that's a powerful story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that is a, a thing that I feel like many young people still don't have in the city is like role models, right? Sometimes yes. Yes. To, yes. Especially ones that look like them. Right. Um, so, uh, when you think back about all the work you've been doing in your neighborhood in Harlem Park, um, what are some projects you're most proud of? I am most proud of the fact that we were able to form Harlem Park West Community Association. Um, I had decided to, because I was back and forth a couple of times, um, and I had moved for a short while to um, Baltimore County near Oak Court Road. Um, but because I had some um, I had a family member that needed me to help them out. I had a great niece that was in the foster care system, and I decided to take it upon myself to try to see if I could get her out of foster care. And so with that being said, by me being the working person that I was as a you know, registered nurse working 12-hour shifts and still working on my second degree, I'm like, I'm going to need help. So where are you going to get this help? So, okay, all right. And plus, where am I going to be able to afford a 
three to four bedroom house in Baltimore County by myself. So I came back to um, Harlem Park, which was walking distance from my mom's house, Sandtown, Winchester, and I found a nice, beautiful redesigned row home on 820 North Fulton Avenue, and I stayed there for 10 years. But in staying there, I couldn't believe I was paying the amount of money that I was paying for rent, and the trash pickup was awful. They didn't pick up recyclables. I was living in between two vacant properties that were not maintained at all and I remember seeing the bricks on one windy day it was so windy that the bricks literally fell Mm. from this building the bricks fell onto the pavement and then they spilled over into the street it took us I don't know how many calls 311 calls to get the city to come out and fix this. Long story short, I even had to get my mother to call because I'm, I'm, a, I'm an OR nurse, so I'm working in an OR. And I remember saying to myself, and when I look at my paycheck and I look at how, money, how much money was coming out in taxes, city taxes, and I'm saying to myself, where the you know what is my return on investment? What am I getting by living in this city? I mean, Mackenzie, when I got her out of foster care and became her legal guardian, she was five years old. I enrolled her in Harlem Park Elementary School. I remember distinctly walking into this school and it was dismal. It was dark. And I'm like, where's the colors? Where's the light? She got beat up twice, and I'm like, okay, so I'm looking at the school system. I'm looking at the blight. I'm looking at the trash. I'm looking at, I'm like, what is good about this neighborhood? How can I change this neighborhood? You know, there was a lot of things wrong um, that prevented the neighborhood from being healthy, um, from being vibrant, and I just wanted to see what. how could I join with other people. <laughs> the the bricks spilling over into the the street and almost hitting my car and and some of my neighbor that that was the last straw you know and when um one of the business owners miss uh Leela Campbell Dr. Leela Campbell now was canvassing the neighborhood with another um community activists and they asked if we wanted to form a community association I just jumped at the chance I'm like okay let's let's see what we can accomplish together to try to change this neighborhood and what did you accomplish so So what did we accomplish so far oh my goodness we became we became an official community association we um were now on the list with the city to receive emails about um different um, buildings that might be collapsing, any zoning issues. Um, We started receiving emails about grant opportunities to create green space. Um, We just started being visible because we were literally invisible. So what I, the, the big takeaway from that is that I learned Baltimore City is very community driven. If you do not have a community association, you're like invisible. And so and you wonder, like, how can that be? Because we don't have a community association when I'm paying all these taxes. So um, one of the hot some of the highlights are we were able to get um 
to form some wonderful relationships and partnerships. Uh, we formed relationships with the BUILD organization, Baltimoreans United in Leadership Development, which took our advocacy and activism to a whole nother level. Uh, they trained us to be leaders, how to be community organizers, the do's and the don'ts of community organizing. They taught us how to canvas the neighborhood. They taught us how to ask questions of our neighbors and make people feel included. And um, out of that, we were able to uh, build a relationship with the Mission Continues which is a veteran-led organization. That was another relationship that BUILD um, helped us to establish. Um, we were able to get community signs, um, Harlem Park West Community Assigns. We were able to paint the buildings in the 700 block of Fulton Avenue, two blocks, well, I should say one block, but each on each side, um, just totally run down, blighted, abandoned. Um, from doing this work, I've come to learn that vacant and abandonment means two different things. Well, most of these properties have been abandoned. Mm -hmm. And so because we still had two schools in our community, uh, Roots and Branches was the community school, we were really concerned about the health and wellness of our young people. And, you know, what are our children seeing on their way to school? Like, how can seeing all of this trash, this blight, these abandoned houses and rats and, and, and drug paraphernalia, how does that put them in the mindset to want to learn? You know, you can only imagine if you were a child, like, how would you feel going to school? Would you be going to school with a smile on the face? Not to mention a lot of these kids are walking to school by themselves. So we thought if we painted the buildings in bright, cheerful colors, you know, do some Orioles stuff, some Raven stuff, that that might, you know, pique their interest. They might, you know, look at the buildings on their way to school and just feel better about themselves and just be in a better mood, be in the mindset to learn. That was really important for us. Another project um, that we took on, we did what we call a um, windshield survey. So, a windshield survey is kind of like when you take a particular community and you like look at certain criteria of what make a community a community. We looked at the median um, salary. We looked at the age range. We looked at several different um, criteria in a community. And what we found is that we had a large number of ex-offenders in our community, 212-17. And I was able to take that fact and use it as a research project. Um, what we found out is that the recidivism rate in 212-17 was astronomical. Uh, it was just unspeakably high. And so part of Harlem Park's West mission was to create a in diverse, inclusive, economically sustainable community. And where we wanted to start was with housing. We wanted a developer to come into our community and develop some of those row houses. But then we had to ask ourselves, with the information that we had researched, who are we going to put in those houses? If you've got a community with a lot of ex-offenders, what do you do? So in talking with Gwen Brown, we found out, well, we learned about Turnaround Tuesday, which was an ex-offender job movement. And so, you know, the Deer in the, hit, the deer in the headlight look just went away. And we was like, okay, so how can we get them into West Baltimore? How can we help people who fit this 
um, description or fall into this vulnerable population? How can we get them jobs? So we were very successful in establishing a relationship with Build and Turnaround Tuesday. And that resulted in them setting up shop in Macedonia Baptist Church right in Harlem Park. And as of 2014, they have helped over 900 people get jobs, but not all of them came from West Baltimore, I have to be honest. We've helped about 200 people specifically from West Baltimore obtain livable wage, which is $12 and above an hour, benefit eligible employment. And the reason why benefit eligible employment is so critical is because most Americans have health insurance by way of their employer. Well, if you come home from prison and you have a even even if you haven't been to prison, but you've encountered the law in a negative way, you now have a record. So you're not considered employ employer friendly. So by helping this demographic get jobs, we not only help them get a livable wage, we help them get health insurance, which is very important. That's a lot, I know. No, it is a lot, but you're amazing. My question is, I don't know how easy it is to answer it, but like what, what motivates you to do all this work on top of your full-time job and your kids and everything else? No. You and know what I heard a little bit yeah. of it was like I live in this community and I you know I'm paying taxes and yes like, we, not only do I deserve <laughs> to feel like the city's taking care of they're a part of that you know but also that um that, but there's like more like what motivates? It is more. I'm so glad you asked that Whitney. Because you you've asked me that question several other of my colleagues um in the community have asked me that question and I I ask my I still ask myself that question and this this is how I feel. Okay, I was born in 1964. 4 years I guess before Martin Luther King was assassinated. He was assassinated in 68. That's also the year I was also born on the same date that um Congressman John Lewis was born, I found out. So I must say that it's in my blood, it's in my nature to be an activist. Um, Quality of life, uh, being able to have the things that can make you stay healthy and be wholesome and be happy have not been afforded to people that look like me. Um, Black people are still fighting the race. I mean, I don't know else how to say it. And I just feel as though if you have been fortunate enough to acquire a certain level of education or expertise in any given area, that you should definitely be paying it forward to lift up your race. Um, So that's why I do the work. I do the work because when I go to work as a nurse and I see some of my colleagues who don't look like me treating patients unfairly or not and it's not always blatant sometimes it's the subtleness of racism that is still perpetuated I'm just angered and I'm frustrated and I'm constantly trying to figure out why Baltimore City looks the way it looks now why black people are still being treated the mistreated 
and why we don't have economic, the same economic opportunities, the same opportunities toward health care. Why, 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 why? Right. So I'm just determined that I want to be able to help better conditions for black people for my children, my grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren. And I definitely feel strongly that the generation prior to me, and that would be my mom's generation, I feel as though they they dropped the ball unintentionally. They dropped the ball. And, you know, because after the civil rights movement, we, we achieved some level of success, to be perfectly honest, we were able to get, you know, jobs in factories. We were able to participate in unions. We were able to go to schools. The schools were now segregated. But nobody carried on the conversation about how we got there and how the fight must continue. And that's what happened. And now that's why we have what we see now is this continuance with, you know, the Black Lives Matter and everything. But for me personally, this I was I was born to do this. This is part of my destiny. This is this is part of my contribution to my people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so one of the questions you asked, mm-hmm. you asked, what are you most proud of in your neighborhood? And I said, I am most proud of the fact that Harlem Park now has a voice. I am most proud that our advocacy and activism has the attention of elected officials. You know, we have more um, mayoral and city council president uh, assemblies now where they actually come out to the community. You're seeing them walk the community more. You're seeing them participate in cleanups more. I mean, pre-Freddie Gray, it was like, what's, what's going on in Baltimore City? So I am most proud of the fact that I took the time to act on opportunities that resulted in um, me becoming the leader that I am today. I am proud that Harlem Park was able to gain state funding from CORE. This was state money that was allotted post Freddie Gray to Baltimore City communities to either stabilize um, vacant buildings or demolish them. Harlem Park was not on the list to receive any of that money. Layla Campbell got on the phone and she called me and Joy, Joy Ross is the president, and she said, we've got to call around. We've got to call the governor's office. We've, we've got to call Delegate Haynes. We've got to call around. And so we were able to do that. And then from doing that, we were invited to meetings at housing in the Benton building where we sat amongst our Sandtown Winchester um, community partners. And we were able to take a part of that. Had we had that not been brought to our attention, I mean, we wouldn't have gotten any of the money to get rid of some of those properties. So, mm-hmm. um, I wonder what you think of this question. What do you want um, others to know about your neighborhood? Like when people think mm-hmm. about, you know, Baltimore, West Baltimore has made national news a lot lately. Yes, it has. And even international news. Yes, it has. But what do you, like, you live there, you know? So yes. what do you want people to know about you and your neighborhood in that way? Well, I want them to know that, um, for one, Harlem Park is a historical neighborhood. Um, the first elected um, black congressman, Perrin J. Mitchell, has a house there. The house is still there. 
Um, and I've actually had the opportunity to tour that house, me and Dr. Campbell. Um, it was amazing. Um, we went down into the sub-basement. I've never heard of a sub-basement. Like, what is a sub-basement? This thing was ugly. It had cobwebs. Well, guess what? That sub-basement was a connection to the Underground Railroad. I was just so amazed. Like, we were both taking pictures. And the guy that showed us this, he says, you can't tell you can't tell anybody. I'm like, why can't we tell everybody? You know, this is like history. I mean, also, you know, Morgan, Morgan State University, uh, the first building was located in Harlem Park. The Harlem Theater was in Harlem Park. And there's a lot of talent in that community, untapped talent. Like when you talk to some of the long time residents who've been there and you listen to them share the stories about how beautiful and how vibrant it was. I mean, the, the four squares with the churches on each corner, it's beautiful. It's it's breathtaking. I would just love to see that turned around. I mean, just update some of the housing and, you know, yeah, I just want them to know that the people are there. The people need additional resources, um, renovation projects. We want developers to come there. Uh, Harlem Park West, we have met with developers before because that was one of our main goals was to bring residential and commercial development to our community. So when you sit down with a developer and they tell you that your community does not have an anchor institution, my first question as a nurse, because I'm just a nurse, what the hell is an anchor institution? <laughs> and let's go get one if we don't have it, because if that's the only thing that's holding us back, Jesus. So anyway, um, I had to do some research and learn what an anchor institution and um, one of the developers, um, TRF, um, Mr. Sean Klauski, wonderful man, wonderful, very pleasant, humble, helpful. He was introduced to us through Bill. He explained to us that John Hopkins is an example of an anchor institution. I'm like, oh, okay. And in learning that an anchor institution can support further development projects, residential and commercial, because it has, I don't know what the word you would call it, but it's an anchor. It's, right, it it, it, it provides jobs, this, that, and the other. Yeah. So if moving forward, and as I came to understand, an anchor institution doesn't just have to be a building because the Mark Train is right around the corner. That That's an anchor as well. But um, I would just love to see more development come to see. And, and I want to see that before I close my eyes one day. Wow. <laughs> Definitely. I know. So one other thing I'd like to add is, because um, I cannot go without mentioning Senator Shirley Nathan Pulliam. And the reason why I have to mention her is because, one, she's a nurse. Hmm. She's a nurse, and I look up to her for so many reasons. But when she inherited part of the uh, 7th District, um, the 44A, Harlem Park and parts of Sandtown became hers because she also had parts of the county. And so when she newly, when they did the restructuring of her district and she inherited Harlem Park and Sandtown, she said her and her, you know, um, her team kind of, you know, drove around the community. And she said she was quite disturbed by what she saw. 
um, she can describe it better than I can. But she said when she saw what she saw, um, she had to figure out a way how she could change it. So she started having these series of meetings and out of that work, we form the Social Determinants of Health Task Force, which became law. Can't remember the exact date, shame on me, because I did participate in the um, testimony in Annapolis twice. The first year I, t I testified, not just me, myself, because um, there's a team of us and there's like five pillars. There's housing, transportation, workforce development, um, mental health, and then the social justice. I chair the social justice arm of the task force. And the first year that we, some of us testified to have this task force put into motion so we could get state funding to help you know, change the dynamics around resources, it was denied, it didn't win. It didn't pass the House chambers, it didn't pass the Senate chambers. But Senator Pulliam, through her tenacity and hard work and the team's hard work, we decided to push forward. We were not gonna let anything stop us because we knew that there was so much systemic racism and inequities that had happened in that community, we had to do something. So the following year, we got more expert testimony, we tightened up our research and everything, and it passed, passed the House, passed the Senate. So we're in a seven-year pilot in partnership with the University of Maryland. Awesome. So yes, yes, I'm so I'm proud of that work. Yeah, I'm so proud of that work. Yes, that's a big deal. And your role continues to be chairing that arm of it. Yes, social justice. Yes, yes, yes. So and that part of the social justice, we had to come up with smart goals because Senator Shirley Nathan Pulliam, she's on top of it. Um, mm -hmm. It's just not no, just a task force that's just set up in name only. Each committee chair has to, your, your group has to come up with smart goals with objectives that we have to meet and we have to turn in a yearly report every year to the governor. So um, my goals last year were to increase voter registration. Well, not my goals, the social determinant, the mm -hmm. social justice arm of it. We had to increase voter registration and voter turnout. So I'm proud to say since 2016, we have registered a little more than 500 voters. Oh. Some households there were generations, three generations of people who had never voted before. Mm -hmm. And that work continues because um, there are a lot of ex-offenders, like I said, in that community who still do not understand that they now have the right to vote. So just going door to, it takes a lot of talking, Whitney. It's a lot of talking. Your mouth becomes dry because there's so much apathy and lack of hope. And so you say, how do you get people to believe in the system? How do you make them realize that their vote is going to make a difference? Because people want to see immediate change. So it takes a lot of talking to tell them, okay, yes, we're going to have change. It might not be immediate, yes. Your vote is one of many that will count. 